HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's April 22nd, 2014. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We have a special show today. We're celebrating New York Agriculture and Beer, the New York Ag and Beer Show. Sounds like it could be at the Javits Center and it might be one day, but right now uh, we just got this great lineup of people dealing with agriculture and beer in New York. Everybody just go around the room and introduce yourself. We've got a hop grower from Dutchess County. Yeah, how you doing? Justin Riccobono uh, from Dutchess Hops. Uh, All right. And uh, someone for, involved with NRDC who's involved with ag and water. Exactly. Jennifer Grossman. Thanks. Great. And our, and our newly elected president of the New York City Brewers Guild, our good buddy. Uh, Kelly Taylor from Kelso Beer Company. All right. And the woman that uh, helped push uh, New York Grains forward so that we could make uh, over 15 different breweries use beer for New York City Brewers Choice, June Russell herself. From Grand YC and a regional grains project. At All right. Market. And a special guest who's here checking out what we do so he can learn uh, to do more in New York State, the guy from New York State Brewers Association. Yes. Hey, great to be here. I love this. this Paul awesome. Leon. The, the, let's start with you. So you're, you're the, the, the new executive director of the New York State Brewers Association. I know that's a new position. Uh, tell us a little bit about the New York State Brewers Association because it kind of ties into all that we've been doing, what Governor Cuomo has been pushing, and special projects with uh, getting farmers who are hops and grains for beer. New York State Brewers Association uh, is, is about 11 years old now. Uh, it was co-founded by David Katleski, who is our president of our board of directors. Uh, and primarily over the last 10 years has really been focused on um, uh, legislative issues and advancing uh, beer in this state. So, so your show... Uh, this particular show is really uh, a great subject because, you know, one of the, the most recent uh, bills that have been put through is the farm brewing license, um, you know, which is now um, a little over a year old, year and a half old. And uh, there are 32 plus farm breweries, which I'm sure you'll get into. So, um, you know, we're, we're really uh, the New York State Brewers Association has really been about uh, legislative issues. Uh, they hired me as the first executive director in July of, of last year. And so now we're shifting more towards marketing New York beer as a brand. Um, but also um, uh, supporting things legislatively. So I was that. at the the governor's, it was the New York Beer, Wine, Cider, Spirit Correct. Summit in Albany two weeks ago. It's pretty awesome. I mean, you guys have, 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 so much has happened in the last two years. We have an incredible governor and administration right now that, that totally gets that, um, you know, if you support this industry, which has a huge economic impact on so many levels, um, that, that good things happen, you know, it, it, it creates jobs, um, you know, especially with the farm brewing license, and I'll go, I'll go back to that, you know, it, it creates other industries, um, and, and, and it's, it's a growing industry. So we are really, really lucky to have this, this administration right now, and, and they've been very friendly to us. And, and wine has had, had it really good for a long time, and they still have a good, they do a great job, but it's, it's beer's turn. Uh, well, when you, when you think about beer, you know, it's a big industry. There's jobs, people are doing festivals. We'll, we'll talk about 
Fibro Fest and, and New York Tap Fest later in the show, and it's 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 bar owners. But when I read Steve Hindy's book, we we were luckily had him on last week. His mm-hmm. new book, Craft Craft Beer Revolution, he was talking about you know the the industry of beer includes guys that make cans and glassware and, and distributors. And uh, on one level, you know, b- beer gives a lot of jobs. But within New York State, like New York State's a real big agricultural state, mm-hmm. you know, and we forget we're in New York City. But when you go upstate, there's great traditions of cattle and dairy and you know, and and and, and used to be hops. Um, so why don't you guys weigh in a little bit about what's going on in terms of other jobs and, and industries that are impacted by the growth of New York beer, like grain and hops? Um, sure. Well, it it grow NYC and Green Market. We've been working to try to get local grains in production for quite a while now. I think I started the conversation or joined the conversation about two thousand seven, and originally that was working with bakers trying to see if we could find local flour. But in order to bring grain back to the region, we really need everybody, like all possible buyers. So in 2009, we really brainstormed about what are all the grains we could be growing that would give our farmers uh, viable products that, that they could produce on their farms, and what would those culinary applications be. And, of course, beer would be one of them. But then the great barrier there was malting facilities. So um, as we've scaled up grain production... Having uh, Valley Malt in particular uh, come online in 2010 has really opened up that gateway, and it's still very small. It's like a drop in the bucket. But um, where we are in terms of production, um, it's helped in, in introducing locally grown grains to the beer-making uh, community, I guess. So you guys at Grow NYC, you know, since then you've, you've participated in a couple – programs where you've had brewers directly make beer uh, from New York grains? Sure. I mean, we've worked with bakers, we've worked with the distilleries, um, and, you know, certainly feed grains are starting to enter the conversation as more people are having concerns about um, GMO production. Um, But, you know, we think of it in terms of, like, what's our agricultural system in the Northeast? And so it's not just one thing. You can't just grow wheat to go into flour and make bread. Because you're going to have all kinds of weather conditions, um, you're going to have different quality parameters. So farmers really need multiple markets to sell into, and you know to be able to make their bottom line at the end of the day. And they can't rely on just one one outlet for that. So having brewers at the table is is huge. And you guys, I'm sure, all know that, especially because everyone's looking for barley. And and barley production is probably about four years behind. The work we've been doing with our growers have been working on wheat. Um, but it'll get there. It gets there pretty quickly. It, you know, it seems like like there's a shortage, but in a few years it'll seem like it happened really fast. Kelly? Hi, buddy. Hi. <laughs> Mr. President of New York City Brewers. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you, you worked on the, the Grange Project a little bit. We did the yeah. New York City Brewers' yeah, Choice. Right, we did the Brewers' Choice. And we've been really uh, trying to get local grains for, for uh, many years. And... As uh, June pointed out, one of the early obstacles was, first of all, getting it malted. Uh, in the malting process, the, the maltster makes the grain usable, really, for a brewery, not just in the fact that they're malting it, but just getting rid of a lot of the husk and getting a lot of the, a lot of the, the material you don't want to have necessarily get into your finished product. So, you know, I used to get, uh, Bob Lewis used to get me a bunch of grains and, uh, Hey, look, you come down with this bag of uh, sample grains. Hey, look, I got a whole bunch of this in my farm. It was like spelt and it was just basically all husk. Oh, Don Lewis. Oh, Don Lewis. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, It was one of the Lewises involved. It was Don. (laughs) It was the crazy farmer, not the crazy uh, Agon Markets guy. It it, it, it takes some crazy guy named Bob to really drive this whole program forward. One of our founders, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, June, who are some of the, the farmers that are growing beer that can be used for grain? I know there are. A few of them at New York City Brewers Choice. But. Oh, sure. Well, Tor Oshner was there, um, and uh, he's been working with, with us for a number of years. And then there's the Martins, both Klaus Martin and Peter Martins from Lakeview Organic Grains. And, um, you know, we're seeing, like, more farmers trying to get into it. There's a big learning curve. Um, and I know that in this last push at the meeting a couple of weeks ago, they're looking at technical assistance for growers to get more folks into production of barley in particular. Um, you know what the beer we're drinking right now? It's uh, the Bell's Too Hard Ale. And I know that uh, Bell's in Michigan, for a long time, he, he has been 
growing some some barley, and he he supported a neighboring farmer and bought the land. And, but, but he's one of the first, one of the early guys that get behind it. So that's what we're drinking right now. Bell's Too Hard IPA. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I'm from, but so yeah, if, yeah. it just it just takes a few people to get started, right? Is that what you're saying? Sure, but it really takes the market. It takes the market. Like you know, Kelly's been amazing in what he's worked with and been willing to work with, and. You know, we've gone through this process with our bakers who are really used to working with commodity products and they're used to it being at a, a lower price point um, and it comes from the commodity system. So, you know, it's it's sort of surprising when you see, like, the price point of what a local malt is going to cost you. But, you know, it's, yeah, a, it's about three times the price. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's about three times the price. I mean, it's not doesn't make the beer three times the price, but it's going to make the beer more expensive to sell. And the reason that I've been very uh, uh, successful at it is because there's a market. People love to drink beers that are made with local grains, and people love to uh, eat food that is made with local yeah. uh, with local source materials. I mean, that's not a big shocker. And the reason for that is it's it's interesting, it's complex, it's got diversity, it's it's something that you're not going to be able to get across the country or around the world. Um, you're not going to be able to get this beer made with this grain anywhere else in the world. It's only going to be made right here. So, And people are willing to pay a little bit more for that. So it's a very, very simple thing for us to be able to to make these products and, and get them to market on, on a small scale. I mean, we're still talking about, you know, 15 barrel batches, which is relatively small in the world of, of breweries. But as long as you know people are willing to to drink it, I'm willing to you know to make it and and you know drive the drive the business that direction. It's been been very fortunate. And I'd like to add that you know the millennials are our largest growing demographic in craft beer, and, and they really care about where their food comes from and, and who's making their beer and all of that. So that really helps. Um, with all Is of that this. a TV show, The Millennials? <laughs> no, <Yeah. fine. laughs> it should be. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah The Millennials. So yeah. that, that's what you. It's, on, it's an HBO you're special. Like, so you're like the trade association, right? New York State Brewers, Brewers Association. Association. That's right. Yeah, we represent um, all the craft breweries uh, in New York State. Right now, there's 152 of us. Um, you know, there were 32 farm breweries as of last week. There are probably 34 now. You know, I mean, it, it's just a huge industry that's growing. I mean, New York State is third in the country right now, economic impact with 2.2 billion dollars uh, for craft beer. Wow, how much beer do you sell, Kelly? I mean, you're you're part of a, one of the most successful breweries in New York City, which is a good thing. Yeah, well, we're we're selling about uh, for the, for the Kelso side, we're selling about a thousand kegs a month. It's about twelve thousand kegs a year, so just about six thousand barrels of beer a year, which is really really small, as, as a general rule um, for the for the brewing world. A lot of people are doing millions of barrels. Um, but one of the nice things about doing it on this scale is I'm able to go directly to the, the source and, uh, and get hops and from upstate and, you know, oh, we have 20 pounds of hop left. Perfect. That's, that works for me. I can get 20 pounds of this. And Andrea's uh, at Valley Malt, their batch size is about uh, a ton, which is coincidentally about a batch size for me too. So it's like, okay, send me a ton of grain and I'll make a beer out of it. And it just, it really works at that scale. I'm kind of talking about the same scales that the farmers can grow and the maltster can produce. So it makes it easy for me, which is important. Uh, and then, and then I'm not doing little sample pilot batches of the stuff. This is something that I can actually bring to market, which is important. You have to be able to make a commercially viable product that people are going to enjoy, and and do it again and again and again in order to make a successful program. We're not talking about just doing a single batch of something or other. We're talking about a successful kind of ongoing program, and people that are happy to do beer festivals based around it or magazine articles. I'm working with Edible Magazine doing quarterly uh, brews for them with all locally sourced materials. Uh, this next batch that we're going to be doing in, in May is a rhubarb goza with uh, with farmer's market rhubarb, probably in the fermenter because it's not going to be ready, right, June? The farm, when's the rhubarb ready? Well, it's been a very cold spring. So yeah, we need we need the rhubarb yesterday, spring. June. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to do it. Can, can I, I, yeah. Wait, June, can I pull yeah, up? Somebody want to talk to somebody rate. about this? We need we need this rhubarb <laughs> next now. Next Monday, I'm doing a, a sour beer dinner, and I said I'd have a strawberry rhubarb cobbler. Will that happen? No, not yet. Apples. Back to apples. No. Yeah. So we got J- Justin and Jen. Justin, you, you wait on this. You know you're growing sure. hops, but you know about grains too. So tell us about what you know about grains. Well, you know hops. You know everyone talks about hops, and there's not enough hops out there in New York State. Hops for what's that? There's more and more breweries opening up day by day, but. Uh, what I hear more about is is the grains and that there's there's a lack of grains. I believe last year there was a a, a, ver, a very large amount of grains that rotted out um, across the state. So it, it's not 
good for human consumption. So, uh, you know, I know uh, Cornell's working on a program to try to figure out a, a variety of, of two-row that they can grow that can be uh, susceptible to, to, to rot a little bit better than, than some, some traditional uh, grains. So it's, I, I think we're kind of getting there, and, and uh, I find that to be a, a very integral and important part of, of brewing uh, throughout, the, throughout the state and, you know, for farm but, breweries. So you've kind of addressed that through your regional grains project, though. Like you're looking for, what, these heritage grains that are yeah, like ancient lot. grains, right? Weird, like emmer and... There's some weird names you told me, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, June's a big that, fan of Emmer. I mean, spelt. <laughs> yeah. That Emmer beer was delicious. Come on. June loved it. We probably yeah. had uh, People's Pie. It made it. Let's, let's look at the list. We, 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 we ha- at, for the event for New York City Beer Week, why, why don't you and Kelly tell us about some of the beers that you like? Because there are well, many brewers that, like yours was Edible Ale. What grains did you use in the Edible Ale at, from Kelso? Uh, well, the grains we used for the Edible Ale, we used... Uh, Triticale uh, from Andrea. The That's and- the one that June loves too. Yeah, it's a wonderful grain, and Andrea grows it. So the malt, the maltster is actually growing that grain directly. Usually, the maltsters get the grains from other fields and malt it uh, on their own. But this is something that she's actually growing. And it was a it was a grain that I discovered through working with Andrea. I'd never heard of Triticale you know before. Like Evidently, about- it's one of the oldest grains I feel in like the world. We're talking about pasta. This emmer pasta, this triticale. Well, it's kind of it's kind yeah. of like you know it's a, kind of the same idea, just a little bit more water and fermented. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a more snappier. So pasta. beer's liquid pasta. <laughs> Can be. Beer, it depends with hops <laughs> and alcohol. Well, the reason it's fun, and tell us a couple of the other, other grains that were theoretically. used. <laughs> well, I mean, I was psyched to see somebody use it. Was a, it was grim artisanal that made a spelt saison, and that was exciting because that's been one of the heritage or the. Um, the ancient wheats that we've been growing out and trying to promote in the region along with Emmer. Um, and then also the Danko rye that White Birch did was, that was a delicious beer. It was super dark, but it wasn't the same as like if you were going to have a Guinness. It had, it was like Simo's rye bread, but in beer form, you know, which is, that's Nordic breads. He does that really intense flat rye bread. Um, and so I was excited to see those two. And, um, you know, I think just to see, Breweries like um, Six Point and Omegang and Captain Lawrence like start working with local grains across the board was like it was the first time that they had had ventured into that. Um, and there's again we like hit the learning curve. They're like, what is this? We're not used to this. It's not like the commodity stuff we've been getting. Um, but they did work with it and they made beautiful beers. And so that puts us all like a lot forward. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. I, I got some. Uh, grain from Andrea for this project and she sent it down and said I wanted a pale ale and she sent it down and she looked at it and she actually gets a, analyses done of her grain which is very rare for a small malt house really is hard to get. They're serious. The, yeah they're serious they're not so, but she got the analysis after she sent the grain <laughs> and she got it she called me she goes well this is actually more like a Munich <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> malt which is a little bit darker a little bit nuttier and not quite what I was, I was like well Okay, I can use it, but thanks. For, you know, I'm glad that I didn't put it in the beer yet because I would have made the beer kind of go a different direction, which ultimately is okay. You know, in the in this kind of uh, this kind of scale. You know, if I'm trying to do my pilsner and replicate it every single time, that's a different program. But when I'm doing, well, a, who like, wants that? Was it the pilsner? A lot no, of people no, love it. No, I know that. It's not craft, but <laughs> why don't you, why don't you, do you should put this. it on tap at your place at some point. I love it, and I, I got some <laughs> things going on. But hey, listen, let's take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Always 
Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a comprehensive website aimed at bringing the beer community together. And again, if you read Steve Hindy's Craft Beer Revolution, there's a great chapter about uh, Jerry Sheehan, who's uh, pretty much the founder of GreatBrewers.com, Ellenife and Company, uh, really was one of the guys that jumped over from uh, just distributing Anheuser-Busch to really adopting the craft beer portfolio. There's a lot of great stories. We're pushing Steve Hindy's book all month, Craft Beer Revolution, it teaches you a lot about how we got from where they started to where we are today. And on that note, we've got uh, Maltster, Hopsters, NRDC, all these crazy people here. NRDC, what the hell is that, Jen? Oh you have something gosh. to do with beer. You brought us together last year. You did an event with Kelly Taylor and June Russell, and that's actually why we all got together and did this regional grains project. So what is NRC, NRDC doing with beer? Oh, right. Well, NRDC is Natural Resources Defense Council, and it's a national, actually international, environmental group that has worked under different umbrellas, public health, natural resources, um, energy efficiency. And what's going on now is so exciting because in New York, particularly, both with this legislative effort supported very significantly by the administration to support local growers on all ends of the spectrum, what, what we're seeing now is an opportunity to realize how important our water is. As we all know, right, water is the number one ingredient in beer. But if you really look at water, what's going on in the world, 97.5% of water in this, on this earth is salt water, which means 2.5% is fresh. Of the 2.5% of fresh water, two-thirds of that is in ice. It's glaciers. So we've got a Not very, for long, though. Well, exactly. <laughs> so maybe climate change might be, I, I dare say, a, a, you know, a positive thing, which it is not in no, any way. Don't, don't I will not that. say that. But the point is that we have a very limited amount of fresh water. And what brewers do in combination with growers in a regional sense, again, the seasonality is amazing. We don't want consistent beer every single month or week or year. We want to know that we're, we're working with the natural system, and that's what the joy is, the, the, the shift of flavors. So we're dealing with a one-third of 2.5% of fresh water to deal with everything, whether it's watering our gardens, washing our cars, washing the sidewalks in New York City, which is probably Jen, do you like crazy. beer? I love beer. What do you but think of Kelly's beer? This Kelly's beer is amazing. I mean, because it's flavorful and it's connected. I mean, Andrea and Christian Stanley, what they do with you know Valley Malt is incredible. We need to replicate more of that. So what NRDC wants to do is allow folks to to replicate and to grow. And we need folks like Justin right here, who's growing on a scale which is appropriate for what we're doing now. And hopefully, you'll encourage other people, right, in your community to do exactly. Like, what I guess we doing. should talk about hops too. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. So, talk yeah, about hops. I, I I saw your little bio thing. It's like Justin Riccobono. I looked at a, a video with you with Charles Schumer, the senator, sure. and you were staying there with a little suit on, and all the, the whole time they made you hold a little. In a little bowl of hops, that was my and role. you were like the hops right. guy, and I was like, I know that's Justin, <laughs> that so I, I, I know he's coming on the show, but it's like, so you just stood the whole time and just held your hops, right? Well, you know, it was it was very interesting. We we came up with a concept at Duchess Hops to to really bring back, uh, you know, hop growing in the Hudson Valley, which is really we're we're kind of midway between Albany and New York City, so we figured Hudson Valley is one of the best growing conditions in the in the world. And why wasn't hops growing here? And we wanted to bring it back. Uh, the craft beer revolution has been taken over. Um, Ten years ago, we had maybe five breweries in the Hudson Valley. Now we're closing in at about 20. So we're, we're very excited. The brewers are very excited to get a local product. Uh, we have a very local farm fresh movement going on. And uh, you know, one of the things we, we really wanted to get going is, is to bring back a high-quality product. We've, we've partnered with a couple of other uh, agencies um, and universities, uh, you know, the culinary is actually working with us to to to, to work on some some food varieties of, of hops and bring them. How did in. you get started, Justin? So we're jumping to hops from grains. So sure. do you own a farm? Um, actually, I'm a farm director for a farm. Uh, you know, my my uh, the the owner is Carmine Istvan. He actually bought this place uh, about two years ago. And I was, I'm a horticulturist, so I figured, hey, you know, I'd love to run a garden center, nursery. And we had like six acres in the back. And I asked him what he wanted to do. And he said, I don't know. I, you know, I want to do something different, something to make a destination. And I said, what about growing hops? It's, it's, it's starting to happen right now. You know, gr- uh, breweries are, are happening. 
uh, here in the Hudson Valley. And he said, really? Uh, you know, give me some more information. So we talked about it a little bit, and then the farm brewery bill passed in, in June of uh, 2012, and we're like, we're in. So what we what else does growing. the farm grow besides hops? Uh, we have a full-scale a full scale garden center and nursery, so uh, we do trees, shrubs, uh, annuals and perennials, uh, mulch, and all that stuff. Do you do rhubarb? Well, we do have some rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> I need some rhubarb. So really, yeah. any, anybody with, with a mind and a little bit of money could grow hops. Is hops easier to grow than grains? No. No. I, I would say it's not. Um, grains, I, you know, I, I think both of them have their own, have their own uh, challenges. Uh, hops... You know, we don't have the large-scale equipment that's been out there for these large growers. You know, typically in the past, hops have been grown by large farms, 1,000-plus acres. Uh, but we're kind of going back to the old school um, in Europe. You know, there was a lot of small farms, you know, small farms that would, would, would manage hops, but everything was p- hand-picked. You can't really hand-pick things, so we have to bring everything down to a much m- smaller scale. So we have to. We're in the process, and we've we've actually uh, developed and and fabricated small hop harvesting equipment, uh, drying equipment facilities, so we can actually dry and, and manage our, our our hops without having to spend you know a quarter million dollars on a, on a hop harvester, which would be for the larger type of uh, operation. Did it ever get through? Did I have, can I have a question? Did it ever get through uh, Albany to to buy some of the larger equipment and let this? Small growers share it. I know that was on the table at one point. Yeah, we we kind of we all talked about it a little bit, and as everything evolved and we kind of figured it out, you know, once you cut that life cycle of that hop plant, you got about twenty four hours to get that hop in the dryer and dried out and packaged uh, before it really starts spoiling. I mean, um, oxidation can destroy hops. Uh, sitting out, it'll start getting moldy. So you really need to process it very rapidly. Uh, what we're doing at Duchess Hops is we're actually going to start processing and pelletizing, packaging uh, hops for other farms. We've helped uh, four other farms get started in the hop processing and, and growing. Um, it's, it's been very exciting. Because so they'll, they'll bring them over to you? They'll bring them to us. We'll, mm-hmm. pelletize, we'll pelletize them. They'll, dry them. They'll, they'll harvest them and dry them. We'll pelletize them, package them. And get them out tomorrow. So Jen wanted to jump in like three times. Yeah, no, no. But what's so exciting about this is both the legislative support we're seeing from Albany in this administration and the craft brewers that are growing with integrity and uniqueness is allowing traditional farmers, whether they're livestock farmers, dairy farmers, or produce farmers, to add a few acres of hops or barley into their mix because they already have what you call a virtuous cycle. They've got their animals that provide fertilizer. They can rotate in terms of grazing, and all of a sudden they've got a capacity to generate an ingredient that is desired and adds this supplemental secondary income. So it's allowing our farmers in New York State to retain their viability in a state that has seen 26,000 acres a year lost of farmland. So June, who actually inspects farms and all this stuff, you guys focus on on the grain farmers. Uh, Do you guys have anything to do with hot farmers as well? We haven't, we haven't very much. Um, we haven't had any grain far- hop farmers uh, in the green market system. Um, and I know that most of my work has been with grain producers. And so my take has always been, you know, with local beer, you know, hops is like the rosemary and the beef stew. We could talk about the rosemary or we could talk about the beef. So, you know, the bulk of your product, you know, hops are... Um, and, and that's the thing that's really people, there's been a lot of enthusiasm to claim that a beer is local because it has local hops. But really, if we're talking like deep, significant change in a local food system, it's really about bringing grains into production and getting that into into use. And you know, what's um, great and is no, and, and it, like no judgment towards hops. Like it's definitely a great ingredient. And hops I'm are sexy. That, that definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, can I, make, I you can make eye pillows and wreaths out of them yeah. too. Sure. Snuggle up to June here because we're sharing a mic. A lot of and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, but the way I understand it, that was a chuckle. That was hey, hot pillows and what? And wreaths. This is so hot we craft. Huh? Yeah. Dude, we should do more of that stuff. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm saying. I know. Come on. We need a hop, a hop pillow fest. <laughs> you have a whole hop booth. 
at the at the markets. <laughs> you know, it's like with the reeds. Sir, have you been drinking? No, I, I've been sleeping actually. Yeah. Really, the house is in my pillow. Set a give. Right, exactly. Um, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand, we're, we're getting giddy on hops. The, the, the challenge with with grains right now and getting farmers to grow barley uh, is the fact that it's an uninsured crop currently, and and so uh, and, and 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 that's correct. Is that what which you one's uninsured? Uh, barley. Uh, barley. Barley is an uninsured crop, so it's hard to get a farmer to convince them to, you know, okay, don't grow corn, which they know with how much they're going to make on corn, they know how much they're going to make on, you know, all the other crops that they're growing out of the year. Why should I take a chance on barley if it's not if, if it's going to fail? And it's incredibly difficult to grow in our in our climate. Um, it's a lot harder than I thought. And even if you do grow it, it still has to be of the quality to brew beer. Now, there's a secondary market with the distillers; they don't need quite the quality that we do, um, that the brewers need. Um, so there's a lot of challenges, a lot of layers going mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. Well, how did, how did you get started in this? I mean, you came in as an executive director, but what, what, what did you do before this? I was a TV guy. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, I started out at the Baseball Hall of Fame as a producer. I uh, worked in baseball and beer, so I've had two great careers. And, um, yeah, I, I did a sh- shows for Home and Garden Television, uh, Spike TV, History Channel. But I've been pitching beer TV shows for 10 years. Uh, to the networks. And, and did and any so of them as, play? As I have fan. a good one. Well, the funny Which it, one? <laughs> the first, uh, yeah, the first TV show I pitched was in 2003, and I was looking for a host. And, and I was trying to find somebody who's a, who's a brewer. Um, Kelly and, and I read about this guy in 2003 who rode a six-pack of beer across uh, a river from Delaware to Pennsylvania. And I said, this guy's got personality. I'm going to call him. So I called him. And I said, hey, look, I've got this TV show called Beer America, and I want a, and a host. And he said, oh, well, good, I want to do TV. So I met him, and it turned out to be Sam Caligioni. So Sam and I shot two pilots together in 2003, uh, Dogfish Head, in 2004. So the first two were with him. Uh, and then I kept my TV career going and, and worked in advertising for a while. And, um, and then I shot two more pilots with Warren Miller Entertainment out of um, uh, Colorado, uh, one with Oscar Blues and one with Avery, and, and none of them got picked up. Unfortunately, but you know, there's a lot of beer TV shows getting pitched. But um, I guess to answer your question, how I got into this, executive directors are cut from two claws: either um, uh, either either lobbyists or, or lawyers, a background, or they're advertising marketing guys. And I'm following the advertising marketing guys. David Katleski was really the lobbyist guy in our, our association. So I'm, I'm a, like everybody in this room, I'm a fan of beer, and that's how I got into it. It just happened to. Happened to well, be. Cheers, uh, it's so is, great to meet you and have is, you on. Oh my gosh, it's so oh, so yeah. good to meet you in person. I, you, we've been trading emails forever, so it's uh, this is great. Oh jeez, so this is the what, New York Ag and Beer and Everything show, and we'll be talking about festivals and, and a lot of things at Little Later Than Show. So hey, let's take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, we're here at the Beer Sessions Radio at Roberta's in Bushwick on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. If, you, if you're not a member, you really should check it out, whether you're in Germany, England, Michigan, San Diego, Texas, Florida, where our many listeners are. Uh, it's, it's a good idea to join up. There's student rates. It's, it's, it's really affordable, and there's a lot of benefits, especially if you like coming to New York. I know a lot of listeners like to know what, what are the good bars and restaurants to go to New York City. Well, now we're going to talk about some of the festivals because – Beer festivals in New York have really become the thing. And uh, we've got New York City Beer Week. We've got 
Queen's Beer Week. We've got a lot of things going on in New York State. So first, we have some some new guests on. They just came in. Guys, come up to the mic. Uh, there's a there's a festival this weekend called Fiveborough Fest. By the time many of you hear this, it, it, it might have been over. But guys, just introduce yourself and tell us briefly how how did you guys uh, come up with Fiveborough Fest? And I know it's part of Queen's Beer Week. Which is kind well, of fun. We came up with it at the end of 2013. We were sitting in a bar in Queens. Well, what's your name? Say your name. Mike Ryan with the Five Borough. Uh, They're good. They, they they showed up at Jimmy's number 43 with like 100 cards, and they said, we have the Five Borough Fest. So you're on the show tonight. <laughs> well, we're, we're our background is marketing. Uh, I'm originally from Huntington Beach, California, so we do a lot of surf contests on the West Coast. And we came to the East Coast. We're moving to uh, Long Island City, Queens. We were at Big Alice, and we were having a beer on a Friday night, and we were talking to the brewery, and we found out that uh, they had a real tough time letting people know about craft beer and local craft beer, and we found out about seven or eight breweries were about to be launched in Queens, and we're, it made it exciting, and so we could put New York City, New York State, and craft beers together, and make it something that we so can So you're kind enjoy. of carpetbaggers. Absolutely. We love that. Absolutely. We've seen a lot more people, m- music and concert promoters getting, like the guys that used Absolutely. to produce the Dave Matthews concerts are now the New York City Craft Beer Festival guys. I mean, it, it, it's, it's prime time beer festivals. and uh, So you guys are this weekend. This weekend, Friday night, Studio Square, 7 to 11. Um, st- uh, band, uh, Stolen Roads. From northern New Jersey will be there. And will you guys uh, have other festivals coming up? We do. We, we're we're going to announce something shortly for the fall. So how it, can people keep in touch with you? Uh, well, if you go to fiveboroughcraftbeerfest.com, you can get a hold. You can find out about this weekend, all our sponsors and the actual breweries that are going to be there. Uh, we have all breweries from the five uh, boroughs, including Stanton Island, the Forgotten Borough. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Well, welcome and all to New York, guys. Go to Grow NYC. All right, yes. that's awesome. Okay, now uh, Justin. So, and everyone says, "Oh, I have a fest. I have a fest," which is what's awesome right. about beer. So, Justin, you, the hop grower, you have a festival too. We do. Last year, we had our, our first inaugural uh, Hop Timber event, which was uh, September fourteenth. Uh, we'll have our second one this year. It's going to be September thirteenth. And uh, what we do is we like to really showcase our, our Hudson Valley brewers. And last year we had 18 breweries. This year we're where is it? Is it the garden? It's center? actually right at our at our farm, right at the hop farm. So we, we limit it to a thousand tickets. Uh, it's all inclusive, food and drink. So uh, you know, unlimited tastings. And then do you guys have a website? We do. Uh, you could check us out on DutchessHops.com, and uh, you could get tickets. We'll probably start selling tickets next month. Actually, all right. And Jen with NRDC, you got you're doing something special with beer. Exactly. On May 8th, we have an NRDC farm to table dinner. It's in the East Village at a local community garden and Kelly Taylor has been je- generous enough to donate all of our beer. Um, so join us. You can go to nrdc.org to get information on the May 8th event. And I'm going to give a shout out to our buddy Steve Hindi with his book Craft Beer Revolution. This Friday night if you're in New York City, go to the New York Public Library. You can buy tickets online. I, I bet through brooklynbrewery.com you can get it, but that's going to be a cool event. He's got Kim Jordan, who's the co-founder of New Belgium, coming in as well. Uh, it's going to be a pretty awesome uh, book event. And uh, Paul Leon from New York State Beer, you guys are taking over. You're doing festivals, and you got Saratoga Beer Week and all this stuff. Our festivals are really New York State-oriented, so the next festival we've got coming, we labeled them Craft New York Beer Fests. Um, the next one is actually at Brooklyn Brewery on uh, June 5th, which is going to be a rare beer tasting with New York State uh, craft beers. Uh, Kelly Taylor will be taking uh, part in that, uh, along with 24 other New York State breweries from around the state. Uh, and then with Rochester, August 22nd, uh, and Sarah, Syracuse, November 22nd. And, then, um, and we've got a really great partnership now with the, the New York City Brewers Guild. And so next year's uh, New York City Beer Week will have a strong uh, New York State element to it, um, you know, farm brewing element. Um, That's awesome. That. So- and I'll say, if, keep up with the news. you got uh, goodbeerseal.com and heritageradionetwork.org. Uh, there's a lot of events going on. In fact, too many, but that's what's great about New York City. There's three things tonight I could go to and still not go to everything. A couple of shout-outs. Um, our, our, our regular guest and good buddy, um, John LaPolia owns uh, Bitter and Esther's. It's probably the coolest beer shop 
in uh, Brooklyn because he mostly teaches you how to make beer. And he teaches things like, if you really want to make beer, it sounds kind of like fun, but actually there's a lot of cleaning and a lot of hands-on work. So, so it's, it's good if you're thinking about being a brewer, check out Bitter and Esters, and uh, John Lapoli will tell you that it's three hours of cleaning as well as making beer. Because I went last year, and I decided that I would never own a brewery. But... Um, <laughs> But May 3rd, at Bitter and Esther's homebrewing author, John, uh, John Palmer, there's a homebrewing author. I didn't know this. He'll do a signing and a talk, 1 to 4 p.m. And Sunday, May 4th, John Palmer will visit Finback Brewing in Queens, one of the newest breweries, from 12 to 4 for the American Homebrewers Association Rally. And that night, John Palmer will be at 508 Gastro Brewery for a free event from 6 to 9. So I think the best way to find information about this, Maggie, is to uh, check out a site. Which one is that? I'd love to know. Um, Maggie, jump in and tell us, because this is important. John Palmer is a big uh, homebrewing author, and uh, I think on goodbrewseal.com you can find out more. And um, it's important to visit to New York. And again, John LaPoglia, go to Bitters and Esters, check them out. Uh, he's really pushing th- this visit. And, and I have to say, we, all the things we talk about, you know, grains and hops and the, and the scene, it's still the core of, of, of the craft beer is the home, the home brewers. And really... You know, I know for Kelly, like people ask him, "Oh, I need a brewer." Kelly's has that's how Chris Kuzmi got uh, the job at Five Way Gastro Brewery. Uh, he, there's a lot of home brewers ready to graduate, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to get. I think we're talking about John Lapoli right now. So yeah, and I got a lot of brewers from yeah. from the home brewer community out here. You know, they you got to put it out there, and then you get 100 people banging on the door and say, "I want to get into the brewing industry," and and it's it's really important for me to, to get somebody that that knows. The product knows the yeah. backbone of the product and and has the, uh, the the passion to be able to brew it in their New York City apartment. Uh, that speaks a lot to me, so I'm, I'm always interested in talking to. No, and then, and, but but a lot of them show up to the interview without uh, a bottle of beer. <laughs> and I and I yeah, and I tell them I was like, listen, okay, not for nothing. No matter what happens here, next beer interview you go on, bring a six pack. <laughs> I'm not too hard by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's important. <laughs> All right, and now, talk about events. Uh, this is kind of a fun wrap-up. We've covered so many bases, and, and uh, we will go deeper. This, this whole regional grains thing is going to only go deeper. And also next year for New York City Beer Week, we're going to do so much more with New York Grains and, and uh, New York City yeah, Brewers, Brewers Choice. Brewers it's going to be awesome. Yep. And hops, too. There's so much going on. Again, it's Ag and Beer Show. There's so much to talk about. But uh, we have an, another calling guest. Uh, we just finished Lent, and... Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a writer who, who uh, lived for 43 days on his homebrew alone. Well, another guy did it, and he's calling in. And let me see what his name is, because I was following him. But it's kind That's of amazing, awesome. right? It's like awesome. I could live on... I couldn't live on beer alone because I would have like some vegetables and you know. I got a life on. You guys too. This was the journalist, this right? This is the fun part. So his name is Chris Scryer. He is the Lakewood Lent champion. He is also a Toronto-based beer blogger at torontobeerblog.com. And every once in a while, I would go on and say, oh, let's hashtag Liquid Lent. So, uh, Chris, are you on the air? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm here. How are you guys doing? Dude, thanks for listening. You're, you're part of an intense show today. We're talking about all things beer. But give us a quick, quick synopsis. Why did you do the – you lived on, what, 40 days or 43 days? As a, yeah, I did 40. Yeah. 40 days on beer alone. Give us yep. a little quick brief about that. All right. So the deal was, um, like you say, um, Jay, I think his name was Wilson, did it a couple years ago and kind of inspired me to, to give it a try. And uh, I kind of went at it with two different things in mind. Uh, one was uh, very public, which was to try and engage people in discussion about uh, fasting. And whether you're you know, a spiritual person, Christian person, or whatever or not, there's a lot of like life lesson application you can gain from uh, from fasting, now, maybe not forty days off of food, but you know there's a lot of a lot of opportunity, and so it's really cool to be able to engage people uh, and talk about that. And then personally, um, with that in mind, it was quite a bit of uh, a spiritual discipline for me uh, doing that. So I'm a, I'm a faithful dude, and uh, it was part of my uh, my progress, part of my journey. Awesome. And and what beers did you drink? Well, my main beer was a beer that I made um, at Amsterdam Brewing Company, which is a brewery up here in Toronto. And uh, one of my good friends is the brewmaster there. So uh, I say I, I made at, I showed up and stirred uh, when they told me <laughs> to. They have, a, they have a really nice uh, one-heck Blickman. Uh, That's how I make beer, too. But um, what style of beer was it, though? Was, it, was there any special style, or was this different beers? Yep. It was a, it was a Doppelbach we made. 
and uh, we we bumped up the grain bill um, with oatmeal. The original intent was to running at about I think it was about ten or eleven percent oatmeal in the mash, um, but we kind of screwed up and added a bit too much, which was sort of my fault. Um, and so we were guessing it was actually closer to about twenty percent of the grain bill uh, was actually flaked oats. So it was thick. It was like carbonated cough syrup, but uh, it had a lot of calorie and a lot of protein, so it kept me alive. So, so n- nutrition wise, th- that's all you lived on for forty days. I also would drink uh, a bit of juice and coffee and tea between uh, meal beers, as it were. And then I drank some other beer during the time, too, just whatever I kind of felt like. <laughs> We're here with Kelly Taylor, one of our uh, New York City brewers. Kelly, d- did you ever think about living exclusively on beer? Do you think there's nutritional elements to beer? I, 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 always, think I always think about living exclusively on beer. <laughs> <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, I've got beer coming out of my ears almost. Um, and actually, I, I talked. I read there was somebody wrote an article. Uh, there was a, uh, an author from the Midwest that did an article about this, and they did the forty day thing and beer and water, and they did double box. And I, I got a bunch of people together, and we were talking about doing just a, a beer for Lent thing. I was thinking I might go the other direction because the beer doesn't have a lot of protein. It doesn't have a lot of protein to it, so you, you need to supplement that somehow. Um, and I guess a- adding a lot of uh, flaked product uh, would do the trick, especially if it's not highly fermentable, so you get the, a lot of the proteins carry through. So you can still get proteins from Yeah, grains. I was kind of thinking about adding, like, protein powder or something. You know, like, you know, pardon? I said your emmer will be high in protein. Yeah, so, so, so there goes with the emmer again. So we, but, we but, but here's the thing: Change I thought your grain bill. is like I might be able exactly. instead of instead of doing like something some other thing, just just do uh, beer, bread, and cheese. Do like a monk's diet kind of thing, you know, and and get your protein from the cheese and just do. You know, just something very, well, you very know, simple. Chris, it's so you know, funny. everybody, everybody's you're, you're got on their the own right show because we're talking about grains. And June June Russell just said that by changing the grains and the beer. You could you could alter the nutrition, right? Possibly. Well, I don't. I, uh, I I don't know if I could say. That. Emmer, could Emmer, stay on focus. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't know what happens in the process of brewing to the proteins in the beer, but yeah. it's definitely a high protein grain, and so it's one of the things that we're interested in and in growing it out as a food grain in the future. To you know, as we all have to move away from gigantic meat. Consumption that yeah. we're no, we, we have to, we have the plant based mm-hmm. diets, but you know, the beer, like, beer's got all the essential amino acids and some <laughs> non essential amino acids, so it's an extre- incredibly yeah. healthy I like beverage the except of, for the alcohol component. I, you know, it. there's this gluten free thing. I'm not into that, but I, I would much rather drink my grains. Is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. From you know, New York State, what, what's your position on uh, beer as a nutritional? Is is this a beer is a good thing? I think it's a good thing if it's craft brewed. It's made from you know good ingredients. Is there an official position on this? Beer is good is in moderation at at any level. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, yeah. beer beer brings happiness to the world. Well, and we're going back. It goes position. back to what we were talking about earlier about balance. You know, balance in the ecosystem, yeah. balance in the farming, balance in the community, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, beer for Lent. You know, Lent isn't about balance, is it? You know, Lent is about kind of giving up your. Balance, I guess. I don't know. Sacrifice. Losing your balance. Lent, if you drink, a, if you drink beer for Lent, you lost balance. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think the monks had it down right. They, I think they had a simple diet, and they supplemented it with beer. I think the beer is what gave them their spiritual... It's a loophole. Yeah. Yeah, it was their loophole. All right, yeah. Justin, our, our, our hop grower guy, what, what's your comment on drinking beer for Lent and... The nutritional very, benefits of beer. He's like, as long as it's IPAs, it's good, right? Sure. <laughs> you know, if, you add, if you add a lot of hops, I think you're all right. All the polyphenols. Um, it's good. Right? It's. I mean, I think it's. I think this is a very interesting idea. And uh, if you know, I'd like to see a study done on the uh, on the different grains, uh, in in terms of the proteins. I mean, hey, you know, I gave I gave up sweets. I didn't give up beer. Well, yeah. the, the one thing, and definitely in, uh, in in Christ's time, they probably were drinking Emmer beer because that was the one of the grains that was being grown at that time in that part of the world. And, Even better, yeah. And everything you know will ferment and and, and have its place. And so uh, I'm into this conversation. Beer. You know, it's like whether it's a, a what a would Christ tea. drink? <laughs> yeah, or exactly. you know, a broth. You know, we're talking beer, so. Jen from NRDC. Well, you know, the last word. If you talk about public health too, you want to talk about what's grown locally, what's seasonal, what's most most digestible, and that's that's what we have locally around us. So it, it's a very natural sort of next step to say that this should be a supplement or at least a primary addition to our diet. 
Well, I think that, I mean, let's have a little perspective here because this is, it has not been that long through human history that we've had the luxury to just, you know, mail order whatever we want. Like, we, you make do with whatever you have. And that's where all of these things have evolved. And so, you know, we didn't have a choice 200 years ago, 300, 400 years ago when, you know, colonial days, it's like they brewed what they had, period. So this system of agriculture that we have is new and probably not long for the world because it's not sustainable. Chris in Toronto, here, here. you want to have the final word on this? Chris? What? Yes. I don't, did you hear what we said? I don't know if you can on the phone. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I just didn't get to that last question there. So, so I, uh, I was going to say, my thing actually in terms of the, the beer and the nutrition and, and supplementing and all, the one thing that actually most people leave out of the equation is the lack of fat in your diet, mm. um, which, funny enough, my doctor, who you would expect to bring this up, was the one who brought it up. But uh, the biggest problem with any amount of, of, you know, just focusing on beer, and I almost say this as a disclaimer, you know, kids, if you're listening at home, um, you do need fat in your diet, apparently. And uh, I was getting to the point where cognitive uh, issues were about brain. to start coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah, so, well, how uh, hard was this, Chris? How Really, how hard was this to do? Oh, it, it was difficult. It really was. I love the challenges. Food, um, and I, I would still cook for my family and stuff. Ooh, so, ouch. yeah, I... I, I've got this this uh, this idea now that I kind of knew in my mind, but I hadn't really put into practice. Which is like when you read, if if you know, reading Bible stories is your name. Um, you know, when you read about famous good big people in the Bible, they would go through these periods where they would have some miraculous sort of divine, you know, thunderbolts and lightning kind of uh, intervention. But for the most part, they were people who were good and, and, and important because they just did a lot of hard work. And uh, I think I went into the fast kind of expecting some, like, angel's wings, and what I actually got was, like, you know, marching boots, and I just had to slog through, and mm-hmm. it was difficult, but it was a really positive experience. Did you lose weight or gain weight? I lost. Um, okay. I didn't actually weigh myself, so I don't know the exact amount. But I lost about six centimeters off my waist, which I guess in inches is like. We're Americans. Three I don't, totally don't know. <laughs> yeah, what, what is that? I think, I think it's yeah. like three inches. Three and a half inches. Let, let, let's close it. I would say, Chris, thanks so much for doing this. I would say this that I've actually, because of you and, and the, the Wilson dude, I did a little research on this. I think that the typical monk's diet during Lent did include some fish and poultry. I don't think that any monks ever lived exclusively on beer. I love that you guys did it. But I'm saying that I think that beer does supplement you know, your diet, and I think that with the proper grains and locally made beer, it can be an important part of your diet. I think if you add a little eggs, fish, and, and chicken, uh, you'd probably get all the fats and everything you needed. So thanks for calling yeah, in, Chris. Um, we're going we're gonna to sign off. Let's just give thanks to everybody. This is an awesome, awesome show with so much more stories to cover from Dutchess County Hop Growers, NRDC, uh, new beer festivals in Queens, uh, a great brewer in Brooklyn, uh, regional grains in Grow NYC, and our New York State Brewers Association. So thanks, everybody, for, for uh, coming on the show tonight. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. We'd love to bring this podcast to you tonight. So thanks to everybody in the room, and thanks for joining me here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks again to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer-producer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thank you, Jimmy Carboni. Buddy. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.